0: Right. So Adam,
1: thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, this is uh, strange to reintroduce you after we already met and had such a good conversation, but uh, we're going to trust today on a very important topic, uh, something that I'm very, very obsessed about, and it comes from this little book here, the, the Bible that I recommend to everyone, the Mom Test, right? How to talk to customers, and you're you're kind of the the, the customer king in a way, and helping people to to figure out those first few steps uh, when they have an idea. Right? Because no one invests in a, an idea, they, they need to have some kind of data or proof behind it, and all that comes down to talking to your customers, I guess. And um, so before we jump into all of that, because I have a lot of questions, maybe you could hit me up just with a short introduction about you, and then, of course, also your your company familiarize. Yeah, thanks, thanks,
0: Alan.
1: Um, yeah,
0: so well, thanks for having me today Uh, i um i'm adam i spent about 20 years or so working in various marketing bit of strategy um bit of boring planning roles in various corporates but um main a a big theme throughout most of my career was customers and um the latter part of my time was working with startups who um the corporates were investing in um, either through venture capital arm or through business building venture building units and so I worked with a lot of startups there and I kept seeing the same problem again and again, which is really um, not understanding your customer sufficiently well to um, before you go to market. And so a lot of that kind of build it and we just pray that uh, we're going to find customers. And I just thought there must be a better way to do this. So I set up my own business really uh, to uh, try to bring a bit of structure to how um, startups particularly but it could be bigger business as well but how they uh, understand their customer learn to understand their customer in a in a in a fairly structured fairly simple I think but fairly structured way and I built a tool to do that because I think part of the big problem is um founders or would-be founders they read great books you know typically lean startup get all excited about what it, what they're going to do and then um, Monday morning comes and they don't really know where to start. So I felt like a bit of workflow was needed just to help this light workflow that could help just help you make progress and recognize as well that founders dip in and out of this sort of stuff, that it's not like they can give over. A week or a month to customer discovery so how do you capture what they learn accepting they're going to go off and hopefully learn a bit more by speaking to more customers and come back and and you know pull that in that learning into into the tool too and help them make progress a bit more systematically hopefully a bit more efficiently and the aim of accelerating product market fit and traction really
1: yeah yeah, for sure. I mean, that was definitely my experience when I, I tried to create a, a spinoff from um, a, a research study that I was doing in the university. Uh, this feeling of like everyone recommending a book and a different book and then you're buying them and then pretty much like glancing through them and never having the time to really sit down and read in them. So that's actually what I'm doing now is like systematically going over all those books, uh, because as you said, it's like these things as an entrepreneur, even if you're not full time or even if you are full time, you kind of tend to dip because you're so busy yeah. with all your distractions yeah, yeah. that are uh, involved. And,
0: and you know, a lot of people, like we talked about before, um, you know, doing this as sort of side hustles, mm-hmm. and so they definitely don't have that focus to be really disciplined by taking what's in a book and then and then implementing. And quite frankly, there's an awful lot of theory in the book. It's not the real world. The real world is um, has a lot more distractions in it, and you have to flex. You know, you don't get customers just walking past you. Your office or your house every day. You've got to go and hunt them. So things you need to bend with it, and I think that's where I felt like just a little bit of help to guide the the founder or would be founder through that could be really helpful. Yeah, so that's, for sure. what, so that's what the tool really does. It just provides a bit of workflow and then gets you as fast as possible into customer experiments, so that you can go and start testing those hypotheses you make and um, and uh, and with real people.
1: Yeah, I think anything that brings order to the chaos that is entrepreneurship and startup world is always very helpful, particularly at the very early phases, right? We're going to touch mm-hmm. on that maybe later, but this is often a phase that is either missed by entrepreneurs or startups, or it's kind of seen as something overwhelming, or it's even overlooked in the sense that they just do a couple of customer interviews and they have this unfortunate thing about confirmation bias where they just kind of, oh, say, okay, I got one or two people that said they really like my product. Then it's done. Let's go build it, and they will come, as you said, right? Yeah. So I understand. Um, We we'll, we we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, I have a very quick question for you. So you mentioned that you worked a lot with startups in kind of the corporate world. Did you know? I know know now that you work with other organizations like TechStars and uh, Startup Bootcamp. Did you notice any any key differences, maybe in the the mindset of the startups, or just? generally between corporate and, and and the accelerators that you're looking at now
0: uh yeah there is one difference well there's probably many but there's one difference that's really hit me in my business and doing my own validation about whether there's mm. a, a business here for me or not yeah and that is largely around um the sort of willingness to experiment mm. I mean I, I felt like when in the corporate world Just because there's more money around, I think there's more options for the business. So this typically where I was working was just one part of the sort of innovation unit. There were other things that could be the growth um, options for the company, but um, we were just exploring a few of them. But even so, we had five, six, eight, ten options that we were exploring all at once so we could experiment in a much more objective way. When you're a startup, you're literally putting everything into this. And even if you read all the books and accept that you've got to experiment and the mom tests and all of those sorts of things, Mm. the reality is that, you know, you've put your life on hold to to do this. You've had to probably persuade family members that it's the right thing to do. You've had to forgo um, other enjoyable parts of your life that you can no longer afford. So you're kind of all in. And, Mm. you know, to your earlier point about confirmation bias, I mean, that's one of my, my, uh, bits of learning this year. A lot of founders really, when they say they're doing experiments, they're really looking for the experiments that proves that they're right. And I understand that. I mean, I'm like that too. So I observe this this flaw in myself. It's the a human
1: nature thing, right? In a way, it is.
0: And the more you you know, you load into this, you know, the more you know, the longer you start doing it. I think in in some ways, it's like you have to prove you're right. Um, and of course, that is probably the fastest way to prove you're wrong, just yeah. by blowing ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's very interesting. Yeah, I think in one sense, it can be a disadvantage and an advantage when you look at it, like an entrepreneur that goes all in because I'm a firm believer that there's a big difference when you put your own money down even if it's only whatever you can uh, afford to put like whatever it's savings that allows you to have a three-month buffer to quit your job and to go do this but uh, i think that's a very important part because the perspective shifts then you're not you're not taking the money for granted therefore you want to put it in the right place but then on the disadvantage side i guess you're also like just in a a bit of a panic mode because if this doesn't work as you said uh, you have put everything on the line and the longer it takes the the more it is kind of stacked um, and i'm like i'm watching the the dropout um Thernos, the, the famous oh, yeah. example now at the oh, moment, yeah, yeah. And you can see that happening yeah can, absolutely one lie or one kind of like can we just extend this mm-hmm. a little bit further to buy a little bit more time it's this uh the, the panic but i saw that plenty of
0: times in corporates too yeah you know, projects projects businesses were kept um being funded way beyond um any kind of evidence that suggested there was a market for what they were doing so you know corporates of course haven't got it right either i mean it's just it takes real skill i think and it takes um it takes real objectivity, which is very, very hard, I think, you yeah. know, whether you're in a corporate and your career is tied up with this, or, you know, promises have been made to other parts of the organisation because of what you're going to be delivering, or whether it's you loading in your whole life behind this business, um, each time uh your, you know, those biases creep in and you you make some dumb decisions. And I think it's probably only experience that tells the otherwise. That's why, of course, many of these really successful founders, it's like their fourth, fifth, sixth, um, yeah. you know, go at this because they've learned through pain that, um, that, that, you know, that, that kind of, that build it and hope they'll come is just a fallacy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a super important point, actually, Adam, because I, I've been reading a, a really great book. It's actually underneath my laptop as my laptop stand <laughs> at the moment, uh, The Founders Dilemmas by, oh, by Awesome. Yeah. And, and yeah. he talks about that a lot, that like, you know, most of the successful founders, they've are, they're have two, three, four, they're real serial founders. Like, yes, they've they've failed in the past, right? But they've had a couple of successes in number two and number three. And then the one you hear about is probably number four, number five. Yeah, and and amazing. even if you look at the, the kind of de- demographics or the background, the professional background of most successful founders it's it's they've previously held like a senior management position as a vp or as like you know, I know someone a senior management person a director or something of a company or a department within like sap or whatever or they've also been you know v- relatively high up and, and have good level of experience in an in industry and that experience part is so important it, it's very rare for a student to come straight out of university and just hit gold and, and make it you know there's a couple of examples and it's the same examples I think that everyone always points to but um that kind of plays into this you know fake kind of theatrical thing of, yeah that's right you know. so what are the
0: statistics yeah I mean like that's one in a billion right you know chance of, yeah. of being like making it like that it's just like yeah it's, you can't it's not a strategy to follow that yeah uh, that sure. but you know but the other thing is you don't necessarily need to if you're lucky and this is really where cash runway is so important if you're lucky you can pivot your way to doing that rather than mm-hmm. um just killing the business and starting a new one you know the paypal yeah. example is a great a yeah. great one of there where they just pivoted until they found where there was pull on um their product and well, wasn't product that was
1: ebay there. i think initially in oh, and was it
0: i didn't know whether it was well eBay. no i definitely had it with, with paypal as well and yes. it's um
1: and you no, know I meant, was, sorry, that paypal didn't want to like, give it to ebay because they were like no we don't want people to be like using PayPal. yeah but they learned so that, and that was yeah they learned
0: through cu- customers and that, i think that's the key you know you either think actually we believe there's something in this product and we just need to find the right customer for it or you need to start with the pain and the customer and build a business around it and i think i often think it's idealistic that way where you just start purely with pain like a complete blank canvas i'll just follow some find some pain and see if i can build a business because you know you have to bring something to this too you're not kind of context free and content free you've usually got some and hopefully you've got some sort of purpose yeah. Um, that's, that's inspiring you otherwise you're going to probably fail anyway because it's too hard work to do this stuff without that <laughs> so I, I, I think there's some mix of um, finding a pain point and building a business around that and, um, and having a product and pivoting until you find a customer that wants that and somewhere in the middle there is you know is the sweet spot really yeah. because both are too uh, you know they're two the- they're theories really I think and the real world is has to be much more practical and applied
1: yeah yeah
0: and, and you've got to feel your theory. way I think that's the other thing you've, there's a lot of feeling your way and yeah. feeling your way plus data you know lots of small sm- small moves rather than big kind of
1: yeah, killer yeah. business starting with yeah. business. Risk, Ward <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> can End startups yeah I mean I think um Yeah, you mentioned some interesting points there that obviously the real world is tricky and and that we have to have that experience of engaging with the customers as much as possible. And and hopefully then there's a couple of underlying principles that are very important in terms of the type of maybe data uh, that might be important to grab from from customers. But maybe we could start off with, and we've touched on a little bit, but why why do founders, particularly first-time founders, need these kind of hard facts or these data points? why are they so so critical for building the business? Because, you know, often an entrepreneur will come in, they have a fantastic idea and they really think it's going to change the world. And um, so what what role does those, those hard facts play in terms of the foundation of building a business?
0: Well, I, mean, I think they play many, th- many roles. I mean, the first one is about building confidence. You know, I, I think, you know, without data, it's really hard to be confident. Um, you know, that might actually be a, Point for life, but it's definitely a point for starting a business. I mm. mean, otherwise it's just hunches, intuition, and um, and judgment, and some experience, which are I think are all good inputs. Yep. But at some stage you need to have some data, and you need that data to be external. You need it to be, um, you know, it needs to be objective data. And so, and that's really the only way you can feel confident as a as a founder, as an entrepreneur, that. That what your that your idea has some credibility, has some legs, has mm. is, and then of course then you flip that and you say, well, nobody is going to take me seriously, like an investor, a partner, talent, unless a customer potentially, yeah. unless I've got some data that backs up what I'm um, saying and the value that is potentially on offer for somebody else. Um, whether it's customer value or talent value or or investor value. Mm. So I think the data is is your mechanism to communicate that you have something credible, viable, you know, desirable, all those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, it you just cannot move beyond a certain point, I mean, you can keep all this stuff in your head for a while, but as soon as you want to start talking to other people, people will ask you for data and you should be asking yourself before that happens.
1: Yeah, I suppose in a certain sense, it's kind of uh, addressing the fears head on, right? Because, and like you said, it doesn't have to be make or break that your idea is dead because you've got negative feedback or a negative answer from a customer or whatever, but uh, this idea of just pivoting and small little changes as you move forward, right? So yeah. the objective being the data can help you to to kind of lead the lead the path forward for progress, I suppose. Exactly,
0: exactly. and I love that
1: word progress because you know it doesn't
0: imply this big leap um it implies just moving forward and you know because the risk is not that we won't get to the big leap or the big big position in the end the risk is actually that we will just get dragged back and Mm -hmm. distracted and do and do nothing so moving forward is 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 actually really (laughs) important for a founder because there's actually a big risk of moving backwards or sideways and getting distracted so just be inching forward is way better obviously than any kind of moving back and then having to work really really hard to, to pull forward again um but, but you know and so that's you know that's the point about um i need to be thoughtful about the kind of data that we want because mm. again it's really tempting to say, well, I'm only going to pursue this business if I get, um, you know, click through on my landing page and I get a conversion, you know, within three weeks, you know, otherwise I'm going to kill this business, you know, and I know the theory says that you should do that sort of stuff, but there's just a, there's a reality that you might need to work a bit harder (laughs) than that. Um, And you may need to, um, you may need to invest more of your, time to understand what it is your customer wants before you start gathering the big important data like sales um, leads even or anything like that there's other kinds of data that you can be um, gathering that will start to give you build that confidence and sometimes all you need is just the confidence To move ahead another week, and give give this Mm. another month, or give this another six months, you don't need to think is this going to be a business in five years? Otherwise, I'm just going to stop it now. You know, I would say if you're in that kind of frame of mind, you're almost that objective. The question I would have is, (laughs) is this the business for you? Do you you care enough about solving this problem? It sounds to me like you more care about just making money and making a business, and I think that path between where you are today and where, and making that business is so rocky and so painful, yeah. that if you don't have that purpose and, and and will to do it
1: and passion, I think you'll know, probably- Go work gonna, in a corporate maybe, because you yeah, have jobs. security, you'll <laughs> have potential. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly like a safer structure in a certain sense, right? Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting, everything you've said, because I I kind of firmly believe that, I mean, first of all, I like the way you break down the problems into almost sprints, right? It's about progress, and progress means it could be learning that whatever you thought this week was, like, rejected by a customer based on what they told you, therefore, you can knock that off. That's a good lesson because you don't want to learn that like five months later, right? When you've already invested more time, more money, uh, you want to you learn uh, through very, very small experiments. And I like that process. We, we've, we've used that in the accelerator where it worked or the incubator where you have these two-week sprints and you really just try to achieve some level of progress that whatever is the low-hanging fruit for your company in the, that short space of time. I think that helps to make everything much more manageable as well because mm-hmm. rather than running in 20 directions, you run in one. And another thing that I think is really important is that you almost need to become over the the lifeline, let's say the first three to five years, if you were to look at that um, of starting a company, you need to become almost get your doctorate in your customer and your business, you know, like become the expert and I think a lot of people think that they might be the expert, but they haven't put in the work in terms of understanding the customers and stuff. And I don't mean that you have to go back to college or anything, but I mean, you know, if you're going to be the CEO, you're going to be one of the founding members, you need to know this business inside out in every yeah. single possible way. And there's, just, there's no bypassing putting in this work, right? And it's not just in the beginning because there's many yeah. companies that don't have product market fit even after a series A, right? So they yeah. still have to continue to talk to customers to learn from them, et cetera. Um, So maybe it's we never can... end it. It's never ending that, and it shouldn't
0: yeah. be course either. I mean, other uh, successful businesses all, you know, even they all focus on that customer insight, the customer intelligence. It just becomes easier when you've got yeah. lots and lots of customers because it becomes, you know, like Tesco with the club card or whatever, you know, yeah. and Apple with all its data on us, or and Google. It just becomes much much easier. Computers can handle a lot of that at least, you know, not everything, but they can handle lots of it. In the early days, you're just, you don't have that data. And it's so it's really, really hard. It's basically like a flywheel that, you know, it's really, really hard in the early days and it just gets easier as you get more and more data, as you build your relationships, because you can go back to those existing relationships and say, can you help me again? You know, can you answer some questions? But what I really liked in what you were saying as well around the sprints is, it's making this systematic so that you're not thinking, if you think, oh, you know on, 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 you, set, you set your plan for your sprint oh we'll do some customer discovery this week i can almost guarantee you won't you'll get to the following friday and yeah. you've done nothing you know uh, because it's it's hard work it's always easy to just put it off to the following week so it has to be something that is is, is built in and and i i really like that idea fact, i just talked to a client just last week about this idea of at the beginning of the sprint um, setting the um, it's almost like the success criteria to mm-hmm. go to the next sprint, and and it and it's involved a customer. I mean, I know a lot of people do it like as the product owner as the proxy for that. And so you have a demo at the end of the sprint, and you know the the product owner effectively blesses that you you go on, but. For a small business you don't really want all that faff with product owners and everything so so why not get in front of a customer commit to get in front of a customer that gives you the two weeks to organize it and mm-hmm. maybe you know by the you know. uh, you know seventh or 10th eighth day of the, the sprint you're you've got a meeting with a customer you're showing them what you're doing or what you're thinking of doing and you yep. get direct feedback. And that becomes a data point that you can then use to justify mm-hmm. your progress your you know you move to the next stage. So I think it's all about making that really systematic so it doesn't feel like a friction. It doesn't feel um, you don't feel anxious about it because it's just part of how you work. And crucially, you're building those customer relationships. So it's really easy for you to just pick off a couple of customers from your list that you've spoken to in the past and say, Hey, we've made some progress here, we'd really love you just to um, see it. Could, Could you spare us 15 minutes on, you know, on the phone this week, super easy, very relaxed, much easier, you know. You have to go and find customers, which is super hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that that approach is, is what I use for for social media as well. I mean, it's a bit of a, even when you're applying for uh for investments a little bit of a volume game right you need to have a large amount of data or a large amount of contact points and like why not do it now because no one knows you so you can start to build up as you said this beautiful crm you know so like a kind of a list of customers and, and and which ones were positive which ones were negative and then you can always dip back into that in the future yeah
0: so that's the third that's that's the third part of familiarize so the first bit is this sort of discovery which is really about hypothesis building the second is about experiments and the third bit is about enrolling mm. enrollment and that's about nurturing those people you meet through research yep. to become your future customers or advocates you know so if in a b2b context you might find there's a co-developer that you um, can partner with who's desperate for your to solve the their pain point with your solution is willing to step into your organization to help you do that, or it's building a wait list of of customers or consumers, or it's finding advocates that can go and um, talk about what you're doing to others and, you know, do some of the marketing for you. But you But one of the dangers is that people think of this stuff as research and then they think of sales over here and it's just trying to sort of see that these things are a continuum. But you have to put the work in, you have to nurture those relationships. You can't just come back to them six months later and say, we're ready now. Um, do you want to buy? You've got to, have, you know, warm them up, get them involved, make them feel a sense of interest and ownership in what you're doing. And then sure as hell, you'll find there'll be people that will um, will be ready to buy when you're ready to sell, which is a huge de-risker of, of any
1: any startup. Yeah, I mean, doing cold sales is, is not easy and not fun, right? right. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we can go back to this concept of, you know, um, aiming to become kind of an expert in your customer or an expert in the problem space or even your solution or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, just your business in general. Is there a specific type of data? So like what exactly should the first time entrepreneurs be looking for in terms of like the type of data they might, they might want to collect, uh, particularly in the very early stages?
0: Yeah, so, well, you're really looking for evidence of that pain, and you're looking for the way they describe it, how often it's experienced, how intense that pain is, uh, you know, and I did a blog about this the other day that you've got to, I- I'm, I'm really keen that we try to shift from um, insights on post-its to Excel, you know, to zeros and ones, yeah. and so so you know you may spot so say for example a great way to go and find out whether there's problems is go and look online first of all. I mean it's not yeah. quite going out the building, but it's it's a bit it's better. Secondary or, American research, Yeah, right? exactly. You can go into you know to discussion groups, you know, Facebook groups. Um I find review sites really, really great for finding people, yeah. people who are just complaining about stuff, you know, Reddit core, all those kind of places. Yeah. Just it.
1: competitor product reviews, right? Yes,
0: exactly. Go on App Store. You'll see a bunch of people who hate your competitor. It um, gives you <laughs> great, um, great insight. Um, but the key is to um, so recognize the insight, turn it into a hypothesis. So something that you can test objectively. And then instead of just spending another hour, finding people that are saying the same kinds of things, you're getting zero, you know, do a tally chart. You know, you're getting zeros and ones against these hypotheses and start to build your confidence. That's a super easy way to test whether there seems to be something going on here that could be a potential um, business opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. It's really, really light touch. This is the sort of stuff that anybody who's doing a side hustle alongside their job can just be doing at the weekends You know, an hour or two, can I see that what you know, what um, can I see evidence that I can turn into zeros and ones that tells me there is a problem here? And then, of course, brilliant, those are the places where people are talking about it. Can I go and speak to any of those people? Will any of them speak to me if I say I'm trying to build a solution? I've read about the problem you've got, sounds awful. I've been trying to build a solution that that um, tries to address this. Do you think you could just spend 20 minutes on the phone with me to ask you a few questions? They say no. Say, would you mind answering these questions then on the survey, just so you get some data? Yeah. But the same approach with the interview, hypothesis that you can test yes or no, so that when you have the interview, not only are you hearing some nice insights, which can lead to your future mm-hmm. hypotheses, but you're you're ticking against your hypotheses. And then you can put that into your Excel or into familiarise if you want to.
1: Um, nice it's cool yeah. nice plug Adam <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but that's that's the I think that's the question so you can see how easy and um it's not intimidating something like that it's not yeah. like you're having to phone up some corporation and uh try and get a you know a cold a cold call you start with the receptionist and she's yeah. trying to
1: block you no one wants to have that conversation no this is that easy. doesn't really understand what they're even asking you no, of
0: course not and so what you're doing then is not only are you um learning about the pain but you're learning about the language you're learning about how people talk about this stuff which is probably different from how you would talk about it and, you know that's that classic problem As again in fact founders often build solutions for pro- problems that they've um gone through themselves yeah. and so yes they've got a lot of empathy but as soon as they switch to become a seller of a solution, they're no longer the customer. So they need to have that objective um, kind of immersion, really, in um, in the customer's world and the language and, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and also the context of that problem. It might be different from the problem, the context of the problem when you experienced it. So you learn so much.
1: Yeah, I that. think. I think also one thing that can come out of collecting that type of data around the problem is that you realize when you start to maybe, say, get 10 or 20 different customers you've spoken to, you realize that actually there's like different segments of customers that have maybe slightly different problems, right? So um, a good example, I think, was actually in the mom test where he was making an idea or made up an idea about developing an app for students. And uh, they were getting like different feedback that were like, would have involved creating like 10 new features that would like, it's just impossible. And he just kind of made the point that the reason why they were getting such different feedback from their customers was that it actually was ended up being five different customer segments. It could mm. be PhD students, it could be parents of uh, of younger students or, or whatever. So. Often you'll find, I think, through these customer interviews as well. And the discovery phase is that even though you may be your customer, you're just one of many potential markets Definitely. within that area and um, that would be applicable for, for being able to sell to, right?
0: Definitely. And this is one of the limits of um, personas because I think they can focus you too quickly on a particular segment and you miss a bunch of others. I mean, there's a whole row of reasons why personas can be uh, flawed, but but that is one of the the problems. That we can miss other customers that might need our our solution more. So you know, it's good to think of this uh, jobs to be done as a sort of alternative uh, approach. Yep. I really like that idea of a customer hiring my product to um you know to to complete a job for them to to, yeah, to, to focus on so the
1: benefits right and the outcomes exactly. And
0: then I think you then sort of get away at least for a while. Um, from thinking about personas because there could be multiple types of personas that might need that same job to be um yeah to be done
1: I, I often find with personas as well sorry to interrupt you adam but um i personally just to say i don't like them when they're in uh pitch decks i just think they kind of just oversimplify and yeah. often often they over oversimplify the customer and again the like you just said they become entrenched almost that this mm-hmm. is the persona that this person magical person john that has two children and, and a wife oh, okay. that is the person that is going to we're going to sell to but you know when you when you look at it there should be at least five or six different potential customer segments right and and the second thing is that often they're very they're they're completely hypothetical or mm-hmm. they're based on one customer interview mm-hmm. so then you just kind of i mean is there really going to be like you know thousand five thousand johns out there that are that are in this exact same persona i feel that it just makes uh it kind of over niches if, that, if that's oh, even, totally uh, the whole approach right yeah. i totally get and it's just too shallow and it's it's
0: superficial yeah. and it's um it's it's static as well you know yeah. we're all we're all different in different situations as well it, I you know it puts us mm. in boxes that we're you know i'm a different person when i'm a dad from when i'm um You know, at work every day. You know, I've got different kind of, and it misses some of those sorts of things. Uh, You know, and you know, to the specifically onto the pitch deck. Hmm. You know, you have to think if you were an investor and you saw a pitch deck with this picture of John, or you saw some data that said we'd spoken to fifty customers, we've got these these hypotheses here, we've got them validated. You know, eighty nine percent of people agreed with these. These statements. Yeah. We've got a wait list of you know thirty of those people that were interested. In. I mean, how much more compelling is that if you're an investor than you know? So for me, it's data every time. Yeah. I mean, have it in there because some people will invariably have it in your backup. someone will invariably ask, like, "Who's your ideal customer?" But I would much rather tell that story through data than through some made up. Made
1: up. Yeah, Yeah, now I can get a clearer picture actually. And hopefully the audience can get it as well, the listeners and the viewers, but of of how that data can be so important then for just not just your pitch deck, but general communication. Because yeah, it it just it gives hard facts, right? To to what you've what you've learned already. And the other alternative is sometimes like I mean, I made this mistake where I said mistake where I was talking about helping dementia patients, right? But I mean, God, you look at dementia, right? That was my failed startup idea. I mean, you could, you could break down that segment in many, many different ways, you know, in different types of dementia and Alzheimer's disease, you could break it down into the different stages that they're at. Um, And that's, I think, an important point that I read before uh, in Crossing the Chasm, this book on on the essentials of marketing, you know, with that beautiful curve of the early adopters and the innovators, and then all those different type of customers you're going to have that Even though you think the early adopters, the first customers you have are here, they're actually very different than the innovators and then they're very different than the early minority or the early majority Mm -hmm. and then the late majority. These are all very different um, market segments that require a completely different approach in terms of sales and marketing. And it's the exact same when it comes down to um, you as an entrepreneur trying to figure out who is the best one to kind of like go at first who's the most willing to be risky and experimental with you and your idea uh who has the biggest problem that you can hopefully solve uh you know in 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 a short period of time and it's work right it's work this
0: it's not i mean this is somebody said to i was on a course not long ago and a guy just said this is your job as the founder you know and it's it's amazing how few people would would see it as their job but this is your job you know it's lazy to just go and you know, spend a load of money on Google ads, and just kind of hope that you can infer who your customer is from the people that are buying it. It's super expensive. No, but nobody should do it. That is not your job. Your job is to go out and find customers find what they need. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and help solve their problem. And that means you've got to get out of your, your office or your home, and you've got to go and speak to people and you can break that down by making it a bit easier. Like I said, you know, try online first of all and try, and you know, in surveys and things. I mean, they all help. They're, they're not as good as going speaking direct to customers, of course, but um, but, you know, sometimes you just want to get some baby steps and sometimes surveys and things are good for giving you some good quant data qu- quickly, uh, you know, to validate what you've got from from interviews. So a blended approach is usually best. Yeah, but nothing replaces going and speaking to customers and showing your stuff, you know, to them and saying, yeah, it's the lean startup approach, right? Yeah. Is this what you need? Would this solve your problem? Because, you know, and I learned this the hard way myself, just like you, you know, you yeah. show it something and people, well, they're polite usually. So you <laughs> have to have, gotta get a really good radar to, to, to pick off the polite, yeah. um, polite responses from the real thing and you know it when it happens I think I said to you this yesterday I had this experience where a a customer was really pulling on what and I was showing the product and she was just like oh my god has it got this has it got and I was like, yeah yeah and she was just like and you know that feeling that is the feeling you want that's the emotion it's not enough (laughs) the emotion
1: either either positive or negative from the customer because the worst thing ever is just like a bland interview where there's no like peaks and troughs in terms of emotion right because in the end that that's what shows either a very big pain if it's a really negative reaction of what Mm. they're talking about that they they can't get done in their in their job or if it's like as you said a super excited person i mean that's Mm. what they say. look for the extreme emotions yeah i agree interviews and i think in most cases um entrepreneurs aren't going into to a customer conversation with that perspective so they're kind of like they're on the opposite end which is where they're really trying to convince the customer that this is going to be really good for them you know um but yeah it's and that is a big spectrum of just sort of like um mild interest
0: to kind of interested yeah and then at the at the extreme it's that i really want this and of course you want those ones uh, there's a lot of people in here that you've got to go through and sometimes you can convince some of these people they're they're more open to it once they understand more yeah. these people down here are just wasting your time so the quick you're, you're wasting their time as well by the way so the the quicker you can get to the these these ones that you can um, help educate to understand the yeah. the better now that's obviously the job of sales which is a really tr- terrifically hard job actually and, and so we're all in sales as founders so no one's saying that's easy but you need to get through this as quick as you can because you're just wasting yeah. time you know with with yeah. people that are sort of mildly interested in what you're saying
1: i suppose for the first few customer interviews those people that are mildly interested are good as a quick a quick kind of check to say okay this particular customer wasn't super excited about anything and wasn't even super disappointed in terms of talking about the problem. So like knock them off the list. That's like a hypothesis that's been notified or whatever. And let's move on to the next customer segment. You got to iterate fast. But I guess the point is that this is why I always think that when you tell founders, they hate it, but you need to have about a hundred customer interviews, because as you said, you have all these people you're going to talk to that probably aren't going to be it. And then you're going to get to that, you know, four or five customers that are, as you said just kind of have a perfect storm of a massive problem they've tried to solve it doesn't work they have a little bit of money to spend and they're willing to risk experimenting with you yeah like an early tester of your prototype right yeah yeah exactly There's a small portion of them on purpose because everyone else is playing it safe and that's yeah. their job right so, so you're right learn that as quick
0: as you can yeah. go through that pain of the mild interest people learn quickly these are the ones that are marked they're always mildly interested therefore we will not spend time talking to them anymore we'll we'll move on to it but you've got to do this systematically that's I think that's part of the problem. It becomes like a scattergun. Okay, well, that didn't work. We'll try something different. Well, no, you're, you mm. need to try the same thing until you're sure that that's it and just change one variable each time. Just, it's like a scientist, you know, like doing yeah. an experiment.
1: Or like multiple but, confirmations from different customers about yes. the same problem. I think often that's over overlooked as well. Yeah,
0: I think because we just, you know, and, and often we have moved on, remember, as well as founders, because we've been hearing all this feedback. We've often moved on from... Mm. We're we're almost selling a future solution, and and actually we may find that the people we're talking to was, were interested in where the where the solution was before. So this is I think this is also one of the real problems with firms. They're moving at a different speed from their customers often. Yeah and and so because of that there there can be a, a misalignment so being systematic and getting everyone in the team to test in exactly the same way on the same thing same variables one changing one at a time means you get that data that you can rely on you know it's it's robust data and therefore you can be confident in it versus that where you got we got, and then all you can do is effectively write down the verbatim
1: quotes people said, and hope that's enough to, <laughs> to convey confidence to Great you. Great for your clients. customer slide, Adam. You know, just throw a couple of quotes up. Like, you know, to ten customers, they loved it. Yeah. <laughs> they loved the quote from Jan. Yeah. yeah. I want that actually to go back to your point. Um, of moving away from sticky notes and post is i think that's also i mean i have one right behind me right but (laughs) um but i actually like that approach i I take the same approach when i'm producing my content uh for for social media and stuff i also try to get very analytical because in the end uh, it comes down to the data right so if i write a post on linkedin or i make a video and it doesn't do well I have to understand why and I have to look at the data and the engagement and stuff and be able to quantify that that to me is kind of like a daily experiment that I do Mm. uh, kind of for my business in a sense because it's my audience it's my potential customers it's the, the best way that I learn is by posting content so I guess it's the same for entrepreneurs and there is this um what would you call it? Kind of almost a bias toward let's get in a room and just like put up the sticky notes and everything's great. But like in the end, like you know, even if we're collecting feedback on an accelerator program and we do it on sticky notes, in the end that has to go somewhere. That has to become yeah. solid data. We have to prioritize it. We have to organize it and say how many people reference this problem and what what's the what's the biggest problem that we yeah. could now address for the next batch of entrepreneurs. I'm just taking the example from from running a, a, an actual startup, but. It's sticking out to grade and it's great to have a myra board and it's good to collect the ideas but i really really appreciate your comment on trying to bring this down to back to science and to really say okay zero one is this something we move forward with or not and is there three wow. customers that all said that this is not a problem even though we thought it was yeah all three said they didn't didn't think it was a problem they're not doing anything they're not working on it so let's close off that side, but keep the data that we can come back to it in the future. If if a future investor says, why didn't you do this? You can go back and you have that data. And I think that's a really, really important approach to have it kind of in a, in a systematic approach and and based on science, based on data. So my question for you would be, you touched on it a little bit already, but could you break down or just summarize, say we have a first-time entrepreneur that's listening, right? They have an idea. And a lot of people come to me and they just have an idea, but they haven't yet um, they don't know where to go. They think they need funding, right? But I always tell them, of course, like, okay, first of all, I understand you think you need the money to build the product, but first of all, no one's going to give you money yet. You need to collect some of that hard data to begin with. So would would you be able to give us just maybe two or three steps, like very, very, very early stage entrepreneurs could take to say, make their make their first hypothesis? You know, what would the first week look like for them if, if someone comes to you just with a business idea? And they have like no clue uh, basically about the, the customer in detail and they haven't spoken to them yet. What would be, yeah, two or three of the steps they could take for this first one or two week sprint that they're going to do.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing is for them to, they need to build empathy in their customer. That's the first thing they need to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as soon as you've got an idea, there's a risk <laughs> That you just yeah. plow ahead without any of that and so i think regardless of what you know there's a bunch of different tools to help you do that customer journey mapping you could use yeah. some minimize uh there's um there's you know uh personas whatever it is that you you know is your sort of preferred poison of, 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 for, for getting to empathy it sort of doesn't matter um but you need to go through that and so yeah. in, in familiarize, for example there's a focus on the struggle what is the customer's yeah. struggle so what's the pain what triggers it how intense is it how often does it happen um, so you kind of ignore, the, ignore
1: your solution ignore your solution yeah. As, yeah. as
0: long as possible what um what's um the pain relief that the customers um relying on today um because that yeah. will give you an idea of. The um, kind of alternatives, competitors to your—that's okay, so your kind of opinion. going
1: towards the question of understanding, like what are they doing now to try and solve the problem? But yeah, and sometimes, the yeah and sometimes,
0: yeah, and sometimes they're—you know—they botched something together to solve that problem. Yeah, you know, yeah, classic yeah. sort of Excel macro that's doing something linked to something else to something else something else. You know, so in a business context, but different in consumer. Um, so, I—I I think they would should definitely spend a week doing that, doing that work to try and think about it. And then but as part of that week, they need to go and validate that. Right. Because, again, this is the classic. Yeah, we imagine that they're, you know, this is the problem. This is the pain as hell. try and find people. So I would go online, first of all, because it's just your easiest way, your quickest way to validate whether there's this is a known problem or not. So I would go into those some of those places I said, you know, trust pilots for the complaints and or Reddit and just Google it, even Facebook groups, if you can find a group that's just tackling this one problem um, and join it um, and just just observe and see whether you can um, g- build any data that says there are um, there, uh, you know, there seems to be a problem here. Right? I seem to be right in what I'm feeling about this. Struggle. Or
1: collect like insights, because I'm sure you're going to, through your reading and the research. You're going to find some things about the problem that you didn't realize like for example suggesting a problem suggesting another software that maybe is exactly what you wanted to build and then you realize oh there actually is a solution but exactly better right yeah exactly
0: exactly that's where you'll find out because people will say oh i had this problem but now it's fixed by competitor x and you like oh you start looking okay it's exactly what i was going to do okay discount as quick as possible Mm. and then i think as part of that again it should be in your first week just try and reach out to a couple of those people. Contact, you, need, you need to contact more people and they're going to respond. So contact 10 people and just see if they'll have a quick conversation with you. I'm thinking about doing a business. It seems like you've got this problem. Yeah. Could you just spare me 10 minutes? I've just got five questions I'd just like to ask you. Make it really simple, be really clear you're an entrepreneur because people like helping entrepreneurs and founders and you're looking you not for advice. Selling yet, really? We're not <laughs> selling, I'm yeah. looking for advice before I, before I proceed with this biz, business idea. I think that would be a week really really well spent but in that week what I missed before you went and spoke to somebody is building those hypotheses so that when you have those calls with people match maybe that's in your second week calls with people you've got something very objective that you can test Mm. yes yes and then at the end of that two weeks you should look really hard and say is this idea is it is it is it desirable does it meet some sort of criteria around desirability. Customers seem to want this. And then is it viable? Is it a big enough audience? And you've just got to have a bit of a gut feel around it. You might even have a a view on feasibility by that point because you might have started to see some other competitors and you might have seen, actually, it looks like there's some big hurdles um, to get into this market. You know, There's some big players. Google's interested or whatever. It's usually one of the sort of ways to kill an idea. you know just see whether there's um, there's barriers for you doing this technically or um, competitively or yeah. some other reason and just have a really cold hard assessment is this the idea but you know if you're lucky it you may have found all sorts of other things by doing this too that might say well actually we think there's a niche just in this bit here that we could play in that the competitors aren't that there is a subset of customers that seem to be interested in that's where you can find those niches. Niche. So it's always great to go for a niche and build and yeah. build out from that.
1: Super. So I think it's a good, it's a good perspective for, for the first two weeks, then nearly two separate sprints. The first one, of course, is to do your homework, right? To do your own research and to build up what, whatever you think your hypothesis is about the problem, right? That uh, customer X has this problem because of time or whatever the biggest kind of, um, you know, factor related to the problem Mm. is Uh, and then to kind of develop I suppose a short list of a few of those people but maybe between five and ten that you could reach out to I think ten is a good number because you know you might get two you might get Mm. three but you're not going to probably get all ten so Uh, it's good to have more than you need and then you can have a few of those conversations in week two Uh, like you said kind of like narrow down where I, I would even encourage people like you can do this unfamiliarized, but you actually write out the hypothesis of what it is um and then you can obviously go and test that and just ask questions around that problem in in week two i think that's a that's a really good like couple of steps that people could take yeah Yeah,
0: and by the way free you know you've not spent any money you've not had to go and do some silly google google ad campaign to go and test this stuff you have just you've spent no money just a bit of time And you've hopefully learned an awful lot that can build your confidence either way. Actually, it turns out it's a dud idea, but maybe there's something else or it's uh, there's something in this and we're now going to move to the next level. So then in two weeks' time, I want to know X. And so set yourself that goal. And and the way I'll prove X is by some sort of customer validating that. And so, you know, just setting those kind of goals every two weeks can be really helpful at making sure that, you're you're making progress with intention rather than just like by luck and also you're getting some external validation of that progress too
1: mm-hmm. yeah no that's crazy yeah. super so you could even break it down that at like the first couple of weeks you focus more on like your first goal in the first two weeks is to understand what the problem really is and the main drivers of it. The next one could be then focus a little more on narrowing down like what they've tried in terms of solutions or what they're using right now. And you can like kind of build up this perspective of the market, the customer and the problem over over a period of time. But like you said, you're not just running in every direction, you're you're Mm. making progress over these couple of sprints. And yeah. it gives you that confidence to better understand them. And and just to say anecdotally, like I was um, supporting someone, just a little tiny bit, a bit of coaching over a WhatsApp group that I have. And um, someone reached out to ask like what they, what idea they should, you know, How they could move forward with their idea, and I I told them to go talk to customers. And then a couple of weeks later, they got back to me like, "Oh my god! Like, I mean, you, you, when you talk to people, like they tell you stuff. They actually tell you things." I'm like, "I told you, look, I tell you, like it's just
0: don't talk to them." I think that's a real barrier, isn't there, for people? I think people are really awkward about it. I think it's probably because. I think as humans, we like to feel like we're not in debt in some way and feel like we're yeah, sort of, of getting help like this and I can't repay you. But that's fine, I think. Personally, you're trying to solve a problem for them, which maybe yeah, is really yeah. valuable. But also just recognize that that's a part of the sort of pay it forward part of life and you'll help somebody yeah. else. So when you get asked this, don't just dis- disregard yeah. them if, if you may be the customer. But also my experience is people really enjoy it. You know, very rarely do you have a bad customer discovery um,
1: call, you know. Particularly if you frame it that like, hey, look, you're an expert in the space. Yes. You're you're dealing with this problem or this topic every day. And I'd love just to have five minutes to pick your brain. People love that. Stroke the ego. Yeah, Of course. They know that they're the one that have the knowledge and you want them to unlock the knowledge for you. I mean, I suppose in in that sense, it's about ego, right? It's about reducing your own ego and being willing to accept that you don't know everyone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree.
0: But I I think, generally, people come out of those things, sort of pumped up that they've, they've done it as well, you know, it's because it it is a bit, I mean, it can be a bit awkward and a bit intense, I think. And so to have gotten through that. So the more you do it, of course, the easier it gets. Again, the flywheel kind of kicks in both emotionally, but also because you have a broader uh, bunch of people you can call on to help you do the um the customer discovery so I mean, that becomes, becomes about
1: momentum really in the end Adam, isn't it and making this progress that you mentioned it's the same i did the same thing when it came to like social media and even building my business and stuff it's like just taking very small steps every single day and just like you know making that little bit of progress and just getting another notch under your belt yeah. it's just really, really and suddenly
0: it's all gets so much easier yeah.
1: yeah yeah it really does it's just a fear of starting something new particularly when it's a human to human conversation we're very comfortable with writing linkedin posts and messages and talking on social media and like that's why everyone asks is surveys okay can i do surveys please please let me do a survey i don't want to talk to someone face to face well yeah yeah, i mean even the mom test said it sometimes it can be as simple as bumping into someone in in, in in a coffee shop and they don't even know it's a customer interview. No, that's fine. Or right. something. You ask a question, you get an answer, and that could be it. That could be your. That's answer. right.
0: But that's a classic case where you will, if you're not careful, you'll get a sort of scattergun response. Come back to the team and say, I heard this, and we we'll, let's build this yeah. feature. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, I always yeah. say have your like five or 10 things you want to test with you that's all good. the time and then if you do have these chance encounters at a barbecue or in a coffee shop yeah, you're asking so. you know three questions that you know you need to get answers on Yes. that's so much more effective than yeah just kind of getting having a random conversation because the danger is the random conversation particularly of a leader in an organization mm. has huge consequences for other people they all have to suddenly shift to do something that's totally unproven because yeah. one customer thought this was a good idea and they by the way never given it another minute's thought you've kind of turned your whole business on uh-huh. one bit of feedback i've seen that so many
1: times yeah 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 it's like people coming back super pumped from one customer interview and then mm-hmm. that just changes the the whole fate of the startup <laughs> right it's it's yeah i think multiple multiple customers having validated something is very very important yeah, i think otherwise what's the, I mean, it spots the value of one person's opinion right in the end you're trying to sell at scale so it has to be uh, similar in terms of your research yeah for yeah, sure exactly. Yeah, look adam thanks so much and um, maybe just to, to close it up i really appreciate it because i, I can honestly talk all day about customer discovery and stuff i'm learning a lot as well myself so i really appreciate it and um, would there be a few i mean i'm going to recommend everyone check out familiarize and, and you know it's also a free trial you can take where you can walk through particularly the first few steps yeah. which will really help you to frame the, the pain and the struggles and to develop those hypotheses so you'll be able to go ahead maybe and do your research uh, in line with doing the first part of the familiarized steps. And then afterwards, then maybe even go ahead in your second week and have those customer conversations. So mm-hmm. definitely everyone, if you're listening here and you're watching, please go ahead and, and check out the familiarized tool. I'll put the link in the description so everyone can check it out. But in addition to that, if someone's interested in like, customer discovery or some of like that, is there any books or anything you might recommend? Uh Just like one or two that might be an interesting resource for people to, to have a look at. Um-
0: well, the the, the the mom test, like you say, I mean, that's, I think, seminal now. Um, yeah. It's not that old either. It's just really taken off because I think, you know, it's on something that's super simple. It's very entertaining, um, yeah. very short, very quick read. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I defy anyone to say they've not fallen into those traps uh, at some stage. Even I mean, I embarrassed at number one has
1: everyone has um, you like the other idea? one that i really love
0: is seth godin's this is marketing because i think oh wow,
1: nice i find his books i th- i
0: think he's sort of well obviously a marketing brand kind of expert really but i find his view on business building to be a very sort of practical customer-centric view of b- business building quite yeah. practical rather than some of these more sort of startupy ones that I I think sometimes are written by um, you know tech founders or tech yeah. um, tech people. Um, I just find that marketing sort of lens on this really focus on solving customers' problems really comes through. I just read that one um, I don't know maybe a year ago and I just I felt like it was like speaking to me. You know it was like oh, ah yeah. suddenly everything was making a lot more sense. So I'd really like again super easy easy read. Um, yeah
1: and uh, it's funny right adam how much like you can learn from marketing about customer discovery because i found the same thing when i was reading um uh jeffrey's uh or jeffrey's um jeffrey moore's book crossing the chasm that yeah. it's a lot about customer discovery as well like if people think oh marketing like once you have your product ready to sell and blah blah, yeah, blah. but yeah, yeah. but it's there's so much to learn because yeah, um, well marketing customer... would see itself as strategic
0: so value proposition forward really rather than just sort of you know, campaigns and and uh, supporting sales. It's about who you're targeting. So, I mean, it really, strategic marketing is all about customer discovery, really. Um, it's just, um yeah, not everyone does that. You know, they jump, they just think, oh yeah, marketing is just about advertising. It's basically advertising,
1: and promotion. So many components, and also it's, it's incredibly tough because, you know, I do a lot of content marketing in general, and just like very little shortcuts you can take when it comes to marketing people that think that it's like an easy thing to do it's like yeah as you said like the wording the language how you communicate the platform you use the format you use and just the sheer hard work of engaging with your audience engaging with your customers and so Seth Godin talks about like find 10 customers who love who just love what you're
0: doing they're the most important find the 10 that you love and they will tell the 10, you know, and suddenly you're at 1,000, yeah. 10,000. than well,
1: you Marketing really of yeah. and marketing, people often think that it's just about having, um, like, you know, a big following or whatever. But, I mean, if we look at how we still brought by products today and what we do, we, we look for those reference points of yes, people yes, that exactly. recommend something. We go to YouTube, we look at the product reviews, we do all that kind of stuff. So that's a really good approach. I just focus on the 10. And, yeah really hard
0: that because i think we're sort of conditioned to think about scale and you know huge audiences but actually 10 customers that are really loyal and talking about you all the time yeah. they can have a like supercharged effect on and
1: it's also manageable because you're, you're hitting exactly. and you're hitting at that emotion like we said people that love your product they're going to yeah. be the ones that are going to be the testimonials that's going yeah, to be yeah, the whole yeah, foundation yeah. for your company and it's the momentum and everything yeah that's a really good uh, t- takeaway point for the end as well just kind of like same for your customer interviews. Just focus on 10. Just focus mm-hmm. on 10.
0: Yeah.
1: Hopefully one or two of them will be like motivated about it. if not and focus on the next 10. But but get those 10 people over, say several weeks or a month or two that, that really love your 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 idea, right? Yeah. Build from there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. cool. Adam thank you so much really really cool. sure. enjoyed it. I think we'll have to do another one just on marketing as well we <laughs> have a really strong background in marketing and brand development and stuff as well so maybe we do another one on that as well but um yeah really appreciate you taking your time and glad yeah, we got this organized so quickly because we just had a chance to talk yesterday and we yeah, just super fit, fast. fit in the, the podcast super quick um but yeah I'll, I'll, I'll link everyone to to your LinkedIn if that's okay but also then to your website familiarize so they can check out uh, the free trial for the app and they can really it's going to give everyone here uh, a really good opportunity to get started particularly at step one uh focusing on that problem and the struggle so i encourage everyone to to check it out thank and, you uh, yeah we'll we'll stay in touch and um yeah we'll chat soon yeah great stuff bye now thanks adam cheers right, cheers thanks so much for listening to the podcast folks uh, hope you enjoyed that one um for me definitely customer discovery is one of the most overlooked and uh, definitely underutilized but most important skills or parts of building a business uh, for every single entrepreneur so I hope you enjoy that conversation with Adam he really is an expert in this context and uh, make sure to check out that app familiarize and also um, make sure to head over to thestrongstartup.com you can sign up to our newsletter there so you don't miss any future updates from us and also um, you can check out our free startup toolkit we've also got a weekly blog and lots of other two cool things for you to um, improve your education and hopefully help your startup to grow and you can also feel free to reach out to us at info at thestrongstartup.com. happy to answer any of your questions ciao